I am all for paying to market to new customers, but I'll never be able to wrap my mind around paying for our own diners. Why should we have to pay cover fees? It's like getting penalized for being busy. That's why I'm a huge fan of Yelp Guest Manager. It's a reservation and waitlist system connected to a diner network nine times larger than Open Table, and they never charge cover fees. Learn about their new $99 per month plan for newly opened restaurants at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and tell them full comp sent you. Now here we go. Profitability, it's a moving target in restaurants. I've said quite often, if I had to go back to college again, I might study widget making because it seems a lot more straightforward. <laughs> it's something that we're in daily, especially on the operation side, and happens to be something that I love. So I guess the widget making can wait. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. How do we get better at anything? Repetition is the key to mastery. Today's guest is Mark Braver, who has worked for some of the best restaurants in the country and has personally opened over 30 restaurant locations. The lessons he's learned through this process have led to a formulaic view of our industry that have not only made him a better operator, they can make us better too. You know, I started just about 30 years ago in my hometown in uh, State College, Pennsylvania, where Penn State University is. I was a bar back in a nightclub, and I just kind of never left it from there. I worked my way up, and I did all the hourly positions in the front of the house, serving, bartending, all that stuff. Eventually worked my way up into management. I moved to Chicago here in 1998 and uh, have been on operations pretty much ever since then. A couple of short stints in New York and Philadelphia. I was a GM for 10 years and uh, had the good fortune to uh, work for two companies that were later on recognized as James Beard Best Restaurant Tours, which is really awesome and just kind of feels like a feather in my cap, obviously, you know, for them, a great, great honor. And then for the last 10 years, I've been working in multi-unit operations for a couple of different companies. And I've been here at the 5050 Group for just about three and a half years now. Love it. We've done a lot of cool stuff. And I had the interesting fortune to land here right before the pandemic happened. So it's been a wild ride and one I wouldn't trade for the world. Mark, that was like the softest flex ever because (laughs) you've worked with some really big companies, like very like renowned brands. And the only reason I say that is because you're a man with options. I think you could probably go on to work for anyone you wanted. And that being the case, what drew you to 50-50? When I talked to Scott and Greg, who are the founding owners of the 5050 Group, and uh, then talked to a couple of the partners after that, it just felt like a place that shared the same values as me, being dedicated to the people that we work with. And we're striving for growth, and we're a growing company, and business part is important. The sales and profits are important, but I felt like the guys I work with, the women and men I work with, all kind of value relationships with each other, with our guests. Over the business aspects of the restaurant industry. They're all important, but to me, it just felt like the right fit with the right people who kind of shared my values. Culture. Culture. 
dude, it comes up again and again and again and again. And I feel like in our industry, culture is something that like you get around to once you're making a shit ton of money. Right. <laughs> That's always been like the independence perspective. Right. Like I'll offer subsidized health care when I can afford it. We'll do this. We'll really become the company that we're supposed to be when. And yet I think you're a prime example that talent is attracted to positive culture. And that positive culture is one of the big determinants of profitability. Would you say that's been true in your life? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, service before systems is the term that we use service to one another, service to our guests, service to the community, all those things, if you add them up and you put them together with people that are really passionate about hospitality, about food and beverage, it's a great recipe for success, no pun intended. A couple of years ago, myself and the partners in our company, we got together with a business coach and took us through an exercise in which we wrote down all of the people in the company that we really respected the most and then we extrapolated that to what are the qualities of these people and why do we respect them? So we wrote down all those qualities and this exercise turned into what became our five core values in our company. I don't even know if everybody in our company knows it, but they're, they're really based on the people that we admire the most who we work with. And so it's a really strong statement in terms of what is our culture? Our, our culture is literally derived from the people that we work with and respect. You said coach, and I think it's so interesting because what you see in some of the most successful companies is that coaching is a core component, that they're bringing in outside experts to help the team level up. But at least in my experience in our industry, there's also a lot of shame associated with that. And I think the reason is that it makes so much sense to pay whatever it costs to fix a walk-in cooler or to improve operations through investing in this or that. But we don't spend as much money as we should on ourselves, right? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was pretty simple. I've been on the consulting side for a short time in my career, and I've run into that where owners are too prideful to pay for some help, whether it's operations, finance, whatever it is. I feel like I work with a really honest group of people, and we looked at ourselves and we had a conversation and said, as we're a growing restaurant group, we're really good at running restaurants and what we're not so good at is running a restaurant company. And that's when we said, all right, let's get somebody in here to help us with organization and structure. And it turned out to be a great decision. It was really great work going through that and kind of resetting our organization or our culture. And I think we've come out the other end better for it. And luckily for us, we did that. We literally started in January of 2020. And by the time everything started shutting down, we had a really clear path forward and it really helped us navigate what was to come in the next two years. Unpack that for me, because I think that, that was a really valuable thing that you said. There's a difference between the business of running a restaurant and running a restaurant company. In your mind, how would you differentiate the two? Well, they're different skill sets, right? I think all of us in the group We've run restaurants for a long time and, you know, running a single restaurant or a couple of restaurants requires the skill set of being able to coach and manage people, control costs, look for ways to drive sales through marketing. Running a restaurant company in which we're now over 15 units, it's a different beast. It's a different skill set, a different muscle memory. It involves a lot more thought towards organization, communication and the idea of scalability, you don't need to have that skill set when you're running one restaurant. 
and I've run lots of one restaurants and, and it's a great feeling and I love that job. In fact, I opened one of our restaurants this morning because we had a manager that was out and I love that. I love being on the floor. Running the business, the hospitality business, it's a different beast in terms of where your focus needs to be and, and where your strengths need to be. And to me, that's clearly communication and organization. Talk to me about the hurdle there. I would assume that when you went from being a single unit operator to a multi-unit operator, there was a learning curve there. What were the biggest lessons? What were the obstacles you had to overcome? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we talk about this quite a bit, not only from going from single unit to multi-unit operations, but really from any job to any job in our business, especially when we take somebody that Maybe has worked in an hourly role for a long time. They want to step into management or as a chef. We always kind of come back to it's the difference between being a player and being a coach, right? You might be the best player in the world at what you've been doing, whereas being a coach is a very different skill set. And so I guess I would liken that the same as going from single unit to multi-unit for me or from growing from one restaurant to 10 restaurants. You need to be able to get something out of other people. Whereas in the past, you might have just been able to do it all on your own. And I guess for us, that's the trick is figuring out how all these things that we used to love to do on our own, we can now hand off, delegate, allow other people to grow in those areas so that we can concentrate on growth. Speaking from like a firsthand experience, when I went from like a management role to an operational role, the biggest hurdle for me was kind of the way I saw myself and the way that I fit in within the company. Because that's what had to change first in order for me to be successful in the role. Because you're needed, but you're needed in a very different way. And egoically, it was kind of hard to stomach that. I owned and operated a bar in Hollywood. And whenever I would show up, it would get busier. And it took years to figure out that is a terrible thing. <laughs> right? right? But yep. it feels so good because I'm so needed. And so... Right. Can you talk to me about, I guess, egoically and how you had to view yourself differently in order to succeed in such a different role? Yeah, well, I mean, listen, it took me a long time, just like it took me a long time not to go to bed at 2 a.m. and wake up, you know, at 9 or 10. Now I'm up at 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the morning. That took a long time to make that change, <laughs> right? And making the change of the habits that you learn as a manager or a chef and having those transfer to different habits that when you're running a multi-unit organization, it takes time, it takes experience. They're not necessarily things that are written in a book that you can learn. I mean, there's a ton of books on leadership, but you really can't master that stuff until you've done it for a while. And I think that's one of the things that we've been teaching is, you know, one of our core values is learn, do, teach. And for many of us, that meant 10 years of learning one thing five years of doing it and then teaching it. Nowadays, I think there can be an expectation. We've got kind of a, an instant feedback culture, right? Whether it's social media or whatever it is, some of the people that we work with now, it takes them a little while to understand that you can't replace time and experience. They're just things that you kind of have to live through to be able to get there. And I guess that's not a great way of explaining exactly how I got to where I'm at other than being around a long time. But some of that stuff is they're not hard skills, they're soft skills, and you learn them from being around great people and learning from others around you. How many different concepts do you have? And then how many total locations do you have? 
we have 16 total locations and I think we have eight different concepts, I believe. We really run the gamut. We've got pizza places, bakeries, rooftop bars, fancy cocktail bars, lunch spots, you name it, we've got it. Our next one's going to be a big one in the Willis Tower in January, which is most people know is the Sears Tower in Chicago, big landmark. So we're excited to open that one. You know, most independents struggle to successfully open and operate a single unit, a single concept. How can you be so good at so many different things in multiple tiers of dining, multiple concepts across the area? Well, I mean, you use the word struggle. We're certainly not without our struggles. We struggle every day. For us, I think the secret is as we've expanded, we've been able to, when you run one place, you wear all the hats, right? You're the head of sales, you're doing the finance, you're marketing, you might be waiting tables. You get to two places, you might be able to take one of those hats off and give it to somebody else. As we've grown and tried to do it sustainably, we've added what we feel like are the right positions at the right times. And so as we get bigger, I can take off some hats. Scott and Greg, our founders, can take off some hats and hand them to somebody else who might be better than us at that position. We hired a sales and marketing director last year, and she's been one of the greatest additions we've made to this team. And that's way out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> so I think having the luxury of being able to hire some positions that are that person might possess a better skill set at that position has been the secret for us. I think hospitality in general attracts a lot of perfectionists. I know I skew that way. And when you're a perfectionist and you're doing everything, it feels good. Like you said, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's getting all the credit for doing all this stuff. But as you grow and you can take some of those responsibilities and give them to somebody else who's probably better at those things than you, that's a good thing for us. And it's been very helpful. So marketing is not your wheelhouse, but almost all things related to business are. And I want to start it at the very beginning, because I, I know that you're an expert when it comes to formulating business plans, especially as it relates to the industry and formulating a business plan, financial forecasting. I want to delve into it because I feel like you've got to start out on the right foot. And all you're really doing when you're creating a business plan of financial forecasting is you're guessing. But the more you guess, the longer you do it, the better you get at guessing. Being really good at guessing is an incredibly valuable quality. And so how did you become a good guesser? And what are the guesses you can consistently rely on? Well, I don't know that I'm the world's best guesser, but the way that I've come to be able to do what I do is through, like I said, a lot of time and reps and being surrounded by great people, great mentors. And really, when you're writing a business plan, you know, a lot of it is about the financial side and being able to pull data from the places that you've been and, and the things that you've seen, a lot of that stuff is somewhat replicable. And you can take a very, very educated guess at what your sales might be or what your cost of goods and expenses might be based on the experience that you've had in the past. You know, I always tell people restaurants aren't rocket science. They just require a bunch of time and effort to figure out what you're doing. And if you're naturally curious about that stuff, there's data that leads you down that path. Now, that said, another part of business plans is the creative part, right? The menus, the look of the place, the ambiance. And that's another place where I'm really lucky to be surrounded by some incredibly creative people in our group and, and have throughout the years, my own personal 
skew has always been towards operation operations and creativity has never been I've never been the creative lead on anything and that's probably a good thing for our places and so being able to rely on people that can put things together creatively that can come up with crazy ideas that I get to bring down to the ground is a huge plus so following the data and surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you and more creative than you I feel very fortunate to be able to work with those people and learn from them. I think anyone that starts a business really has one ambition in mind, freedom, right? Freedom from financial constraint, freedom of time, all this. But many entrepreneurs, and I think most within our industry, find themselves shackled to a business that doesn't make any money or doesn't make enough money or that they can't earn enough to pull themselves out of the day-to-day operations of the business. And that was certainly my experience for a really, really long time. And so as we talk about formulating business plans and financial forecasting, how do you bake profitability in on a consistent level and not backslide? I think with restaurants, with hospitality in general, you really got to think of all of the stakeholders, obviously the business owners, partners in the business, but the employees, your guests, the community. There's a fairly standard way of going about creating a profit and loss statement for a restaurant, right? You've got your revenue at your top, got your cost of goods, your labor, and then all of your operating expenses after that. Again, it's not rocket science, but it's there's nuances to it. So when you're creating a business plan for something that needs to be profitable, it's easy to put numbers down on paper and say, here's what my cost of goods is going to be, my labor. That all goes out the windows when you open the doors of a restaurant. Your guests may dictate that they want a different kind of cuisine than you have or a different bar program. And so you got to be agile and nimble and be able to kind of roll with those punches. So I think to your question, how do you bake in profitability? You can only theorize so much on what you want your restaurant to come out looking like on a financial statement. But once you're in it, you're going to have to make a ton of adjustments. Nobody plans for needing a new roof or having your general manager quit with no notice. Those are all things that you got to kind of, that's where our experience comes in and helps us when we need to zig or zag. And so profitability, it's a moving target in restaurants. I've said quite often, if I had to go back to college again, I might study widget making because it seems a lot more straightforward. Um, (laughs) Restaurants, you know, you're dealing with a lot of young people a lot of people in general who may be kind of stopping through on their way to their real career. You deal with public, you know, everybody has a different idea about what their experience is with you. Facilities, like I mentioned, there's just so many variables in restaurants. It's a tricky business to have profitability and it really requires constant focus on what's going on. And by constant, I mean daily, not, you know, looking at a report at the end of each month. It's something that we're in daily especially on the operation side and happens to be something that I love. So I guess the widget making can wait. <laughs> Seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're going to learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of this as much as possible. When the well yeah. is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. 
These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money-back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. Let's talk about those operational systems because you pride yourself on having these operational systems focused around sustainability and profitability. For the folks listening, granularly, like what does that look like? It looks like a really delicate balance of getting all the things you need to get done during the day as a restaurant manager or chef and having the time to spend with your guests and your staff. That's the high level, right? That's not the granular. But when we put systems in place, obviously there are systems that help with profitability. There are systems that help with accountability, systems that help with making sure our food is fresh and our bar program is tight. But really what it boils down to for me is How can we operate our business as efficiently as possible and make sure that the most important thing, the connection with our guests who pay all of our bills, that there's ample time to do that and ample time to spend with our employees. We're an employee first company. And if our operators, our managers and our chefs spend so much time looking at a computer, filling out paperwork, doing systems, it kind of negates the whole process of hospitality. So for us, the goal is to put in systems that get what we need out of them, that help us run our businesses profitably, and that don't take our teams away from our guests and our staff. Are there some tools uh, or any tech that's helped you accomplish that? Yeah. I mean, as somebody that's been around for a minute, all of the tech is somewhat new and different. When I started, it was all pencils and papers. We didn't even have cell phones and laptops. So um, right. There was a lot I don't of, know if yelling was tech, but it seemed like it was in the 90s. That tech was uh, in vogue when I started. Yes. Let's go now. Yeah, we use technology for a lot of things. We use it for uh, ordering and inventory. We use it for scheduling our people. We use it, obviously, in the restaurants to order food and beverage from the kitchen and the bar. These days, there's a platform for everything, and a lot of that stuff has made our lives better and easier. Something that we think about quite a bit, though, is if we're developing people who we want to be entrepreneurs, who, you know, when someone leaves our group, we want them to be able to go open their own restaurant if they choose to do so. So whether they're a manager, a chef, somebody in marketing, we're trying to teach everybody everything that we can and be as generous with our knowledge as we possibly can, A, so that they can go fulfill their goals, and B, it's a self-serving thing to do. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess I should say, that if we teach everybody everything that we know, hopefully they're going to operate our businesses the same way that we would. Let's talk about that. So you said a couple of things that were really interesting. So one of the biggest hurdles, I think, for all of us is that we're trying to lead leaders and create buy-in. But there's a large swath of at least our hourly employees 
that are just, this is a pit stop on the road to the next destination for them professionally. So talk to me about what you guys do, the systems that you have in place to lead leaders, to try and build the esteem of the people within you or within your ranks. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we think about and talk about all the time, right? If our employees are the most important part of our company, how can we do right by them? How can we get better? How can we help people advance who want to advance? Or even if somebody's just making a pit stop as an hourly position, we want to make sure that their time with us is as impactful as it possibly can be, both for them and for us, for our guests. So we spend a lot of time talking about leadership, about how people can grow with us. And we spend a lot of time, believe it or not, meeting with everybody in our company has a certain amount of direct reports, if you will. Some people that, like my team is five and they're all accountable to me. And I spend an hour each week with each one of them just sitting down in private going over what's working, what's not working, where do you want to be in six months, a year, five years, who's been most helpful to you on our team. So we spend a lot of time really working on that kind of slow personal development, personal and professional development with our people. And that goes all the way down. My team meets with their general managers, my partner Chris's culinary team. They meet with their chefs, the chefs meet with their sous chefs. And so it's not that we have a meeting heavy culture, but investing the time into the people that we work with to be generous with our knowledge and help them along and really kind of understand where everybody's at on a day-to-day and a week-to-week basis has been incredibly impactful for us. There's a lot of things in our business that we're reactive to, right? A guest has a complaint, we need to react. The phone rings, you need to react. You know, your cost of goods is off, you need to react. So kind of slowing down and being proactive and visionary with the way that we're working with the people in our group. Like I said, it's been impactful and I think it's helped not only the people that we're helping along in their career, but it's really helped those of us that are in leadership that are giving that advice, that are doing some mentoring. It's truly a two-way street. People that you may be teaching or leading or mentoring don't always realize how fulfilling it is for somebody that's done this for a long time and has had those mentors. It's incredibly fulfilling to be able to do that for other people at this point. It's a beautiful idea. And We implemented it in all of my concepts as well, this idea of mutual investment, right? That this is just a stop along the way for them. But if you invest in them, their education, their careers outside of the restaurant, they'll invest more during the time they're with you. And the way we got there was it was part of our core values. So to go back to the top of our conversation, you guys spent a weekend coming up with core values. A bunch of companies do that. You write it down, you put it in a folder, you put it in a cabinet, and you never look at that shit again. (laughs) (laughs) How do you live your core values? How do you indoctrinate people into your core values? How do your core values become the lens through which your team begins to evaluate their individual performances? Yeah, that's a great question. I know that the term core values in and of itself can seem like vapid and corporate for us. It's less about writing them down and reciting them than it is about living them. The best way that we've found to incorporate these core values is that we really hire, promote, train, fire sometimes based on our five core values. 
after we interview candidates for a position, we literally rank them based on our core values. You know, we can, for almost any position, we can teach you the ins and outs and the tasks and the day-to-day. What we can't teach is for somebody to strive to these things that we aspire to. We haven't mastered every one of our core values. Some of them are, you know, they're aspirational. You know, they're things that we aspire to. The way that we evaluate people now, even for an annual review, is really based all around our core values. And you can have an extensive conversation based on these things because there are a lot of things that happen in somebody's week or day that are directly tied to these things. And in general, you know, if someone is acting by supporting these core values of our company, they're going to do really well with us. Everything else we can teach and handhold if we need to. I want to pivot to marketing for just a minute. I know it's not your expertise, but 5050 has over 100,000 active loyalty members in Chicago. Talk to me about how you guys got there. Well, we got there by when Greg and Scott started the company. This was something that was important to them because they had the foresight to understand that even if they were only ever going to be one restaurant, having a group of loyal customers was going to serve them really well. And I know that the group that came from before this had a lot of success doing that. And still to this day, it is one of our top priorities is to have people in our loyalty rewards club. There's the obvious reasons, right? We're able to market to people that already like us. We've got a lot of people, I would say we're primarily focused in Chicago that we can reach out to at a moment's notice and say, hey, come on in and join us for this. Peel a couple of layers away. And really what it's about is making connections with our guests. We've got some big fancy places downtown. We've also got some places in neighborhoods. And for us, the way that we generate and keep business there is by getting to know our guests, by knowing them personally. Having people in our loyalty program is a natural extension of that. And it allows us to do some great direct marketing. It allows us to recognize our guests. It allows them to recognize us in a way. But I think what it comes down to really is having connections with our guests. And that's been our recipe for success. You know, one of our kind of main tenants is that you're going to know someone here, whether it's a server, a bartender, a cook, a dishwasher, the manager. We want our guests to know us. And that's important to us. And like I said, the loyalty program is just a natural extension of that and really has been something that's been critical to our success, especially through the pandemic. But how do you bake data collection into the fabric of the company? Because I think that's the hurdle for most independents, right? Is how do you convince the servers and the bartenders to actively work to collect that data? Yeah, I mean, listen, sometimes it's an uphill battle, especially when you've got turnover that like has happened in the last couple of years. For us, it's, I'll go back to being genuine. It's a genuine talk in pre-shift with servers and bartenders and hosts that, hey, this is how we've built our business, right? If you continue to collect these for us, we know it's a little bit of an ask to put yourself out there and ask someone if they've been in before or are in our loyalty program, but it doesn't need to be a big salesy job. We let people go at it in a way that is comfortable for them, especially concept specific, where it might be an easier ask when someone's sitting down with their family for pizza than it is if they're on a first date at a, a fancy cocktail bar. So everybody has their own ways of asking, and, and that's great. But I think we're honest with our employees. We tell them that this is an important part of our business. In the end, it should help put money in your pocket by 
bringing back guests and keeping us busy. But at the end of the day, it's how we built our business and it's how we'll continue to build our business. And we feel strongly about that and feel pretty good about telling that to the people that might be asking someone to sign up for a loyalty program for the first time. You've opened more than 30 locations. High level, what are some of the key takeaways from those life experiences? That's a great question. Doing openings has been incredibly rewarding, sometimes frustrating, incredibly educational. You know, when you're doing a restaurant opening, there's a lot of pressure to make things go right. In my experience, the best openings have happened when everybody is rowing in the same direction, right? Everybody understands what the concept is, where we're going, what's possible here, what the possibilities are in terms of success, both financially and just in terms of accolades from a restaurant. And I think that when you're doing an opening, there's, unlike running a restaurant that's already open, which is pretty much what I do now, my partner, John, handles the openings, there is a finite point at which everybody can pop champagne and say, we did it, right? And so there's this kind of adrenaline to openings where it's work, 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 and then you open the doors and it feels great. And then the regular restaurant cycle and rhythm sets in after that. So I think doing openings, I think it's exciting because it's just a different arc of energy from running the day-to-day of an operation. There's a definite goal line and it's exciting to reach it. And because it's so hard to do, I think it just feels incredibly fulfilling when you get to open the doors to the public for that first night. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? What I'd like to see in our business and something that we've been working on implementing is to make it more attractive for people to want to enter it. When I started, it was a lot of 14-hour days, six days a week, sometimes seven. And not to, I don't want to glorify that. There are times when we're going to work hard and work long. But I'd like to see us evolve into a place where it can feel like a normal life and that there's some balance. You know, I know people that may be serving, bartending, cooking, who are reticent to take the next step into their career in this business because they think they're going to get used and burn out. And that happens a lot. You know, something that we've tried to do is to make sure that everybody understands that we value the balance in their life even if there are going to be some long days, that that's not the norm. That's the exception to the norm. And that's what I try and teach and model for my teams is that, look, if your norm is five days a week, 10 hours a day, when I ask you to work an extra day, that you're going to be charged up and ready to do it. Rather than if your norm is 12 hours a day, six days a week, and we need you on a Sunday, nobody's going to be excited to do that. And so trying to find ways to profitably run a restaurant, but also have a norm that your balance in your personal life and your work life is important and that they both affect each other and they both can amplify each other and it can go the other way as well. But that's really, for me, that's what I'd love to see change because I think that brings in more talent and it retains more people. And I'd like to see us get away from having the reputation for a place where people go to burn out because it certainly doesn't need to be the case. And I've seen some some good examples where it works just the opposite. 
That's Mark Braver. For more information on the 5050 Restaurant Group, visit the5050group.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.